Lord. You know, it's amazing to me, um, even with that song that uh, Dana just sang and what we've been singing about this morning, it's amazing to me traveling around the world to different countries and being involved with uh, evangelism around the world. It's an interesting thing when you go to some of these places and you mention the name of Jesus Christ, it just absolutely makes people cringe. And it's an amazing thing about the religious establishment. Um, matter of fact, there are many nations around the world today that will tell you that they are 90% plus Christian. And what does that really mean other than they feel like because they were born in that country and they're a part of the state church of that country, it automatically makes them a Christian. But that is not the case. There's only one way that you can be a Christian, and that's with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only way. So what's interesting is you come in, as we continue through John chapter number 1, John, as he reveals to us Jesus Christ and actually who he is, we now pick up once again with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is going to come on the scene now in a little bit more emphasis, because let me tell you what he's done. He's kind of stirred up the religious establishment in the land. Matter of fact, He's got them kind of in an uproar. Matter of fact, they're alarmed, okay? They're alarmed by what's happening because one of the things I want you to understand is that John the Baptist is beginning his earthly, as he began his ministry, okay? Uh, one of the things that's beginning to happen is people from Jerusalem are beginning to make their way out to the Jordan where John is baptizing. And are you ready for this? Some of them are being baptized by John the Baptist, and so the word is getting back to Jerusalem that all of this is going on. And so now it's got the religious community, religious establishment, specifically the Pharisees and the Sadducees and them. They've got them kind of in an uproar, kind of have them alarmed by what's taking place. And so why would they be so alarmed? Why, why would they be so upset? Well, one of the things would be this. They feared that the uprising. It was taking place with John the Baptist would bring about further Roman suppression. Because keep in mind, as long as they attended to the desires of the Roman Empire, everything was fine. And matter of fact, they would continue to keep their livelihood and all of those things. And, and life would just be okay. But whenever things begin to change now in that community and there appears to be this uprising. They get alarmed now because of Rome itself. So there's a group of priests. And so who are these priests? Uh, they're your theological authorities from the temple, all right, from the Pharisees. And then you have the Levites who assisted the priests in their Levitical service or in their temple service were sent to investigate this guy. So let's pick it up in verse 19. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. If you know where we are, that's where we are on Sunday mornings. John chapter number 1, beginning in verse 19. And I want you to notice, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask you, and they asked him this question, so who are you? They ask him a very outright question is, I mean, just who, who do you think you are? Who are you? In verse number 20, and he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they ask him, what then? 
are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, so who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And so he says, quoting simply from the Old Testament, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and so they asked him and said to him, so why then are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, then what in the world are you doing baptizing? Verse 26, and John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Speaking of Jesus Christ, okay? But here's something interesting. Why would they ask a question about baptizing? Well, here's the reason they ask. Because Judaism, uh, even the temple themselves would baptize proselytes. And so, therefore, into Judaism. And so, therefore, that is what prompted the question. So, we're the one who, do the, who does the baptizing. So, what are you doing baptizing? You're not the Christ. You're not um, Elijah. You're not a prophet. Then, then what, what are you doing baptizing? Verse 27, it is he who comes after me. In other words, John points very quickly now. It's the one who comes after me. And he goes on to say, of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. So the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, For he existed before me. I did not recognize him at all. Did not recognize him. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is, that this is the Son of God. John's absolute denial that he was not the Messiah is seen in verse 20. And I want you to notice it's not just an, it's an absolute denial. Look at verse 20 again. And he confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed. Here's what he said. He said, I am not the Christ. He's very adamant about that. John knew exactly who he was. John understood. John clearly understood his appointed role in relationship to Christ. John knew who he was. John knew the reason that he came. 
John was absolutely nothing but the forerunner who would usher in the very earthly ministry of Jesus Christ himself. He would be the one who is going to baptize Jesus in the Jordan River. And matter of fact, John came baptizing the baptism of repentance, also known as John's baptism. Matter of fact, when you read through the early chapters of the book of Acts, you will find that even they made statements about, no, we have not so much as heard of the Holy Spirit. We were baptized with John's baptism, a baptism of repentance. And so John understood very well who he was. And John understood very well his role. But it's interesting that the next question comes. You know, and most wonder why in the world would they have asked him this question? And why would they have asked John the Baptist this question? The next question was, are you Elijah? Why would they have asked John if he was Elijah? Well, let me share something with you. It's actually based on an Old Testament prophecy found in Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi chapter number 4. And one of the things that is going to happen, they're going to they're going to ask about him. So apparently then if you're not the Messiah, then you've got to be Elijah. Let me say this to you today. Even today, the Jewish people are looking for the return of Elijah. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you observe the Passover or the Seder as it's called today, one of the things that they do is they set a place at the Seder table for Elijah. Because they're expecting Elijah to come back before the Messiah comes. And so even today when you go to Israel, if you go into any of the synagogues over in Israel, one of the interesting things that you find over there is on the platform in the synagogue, in the location where they have the Torah scroll, which is in the middle of the platform, over to one side is a huge chair. And I'm going to tell you something, it was a huge chair of the one that I saw. And so I had to ask the question, okay? So why do y'all have this big empty chair that sits up here on the platform? What is it there for? And here's what, and here's what the guy told me that was there in the synagogue. He said, we are awaiting the return of Elijah. So it, it makes absolute sense why they would have asked that question. Are you Elijah? And also, one of the things that we also know from the Scripture in the Old Testament, that apparently John the Baptist looked a little like Elijah. And so it would have prompted the question. You say, well, how do you know? Well, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse number 8. 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse number 8. We kind of have a description of Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse number 8. Let's read verse beginning in verse number 5, all right? So 2 Kings chapter 1, beginning in verse number 5. And so when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go return to the king who sent you and say to him. Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but shall surely die. Verse 7. And so he said to them, What kind of man was he who came up to meet you and spoke these words to you? In other words, who was it that told you this? Well, verse number 8, they answered him, 
he was a hairy man, had a leather girdle about his loins, and he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. So we see kind of a, a description here. Well, let's go to Mark chapter 1 and look at verse number 6. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 6. We get a description of John the Baptist and who he is. A physical description, okay? Mark chapter 1 and verse 6. So John with, was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locusts and wild honey. So he had a leather belt around him. He was clothed with camel's hair, so he was hairy, okay? That's who he was. Look at Matthew chapter 17, all right? Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Why would he ask about Elijah? Well, look in Matthew chapter 17. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is there on the Mount of Transfiguration, and guess what? There are two other folks there. One of them, Moses, and the other one is Elijah. Moses, representative of the law. Elijah, representative of the prophets. Both with Jesus Christ in his glorification there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, guess what? The disciples have their own thought about all of this. And so when we come to verse number 9 of Matthew 17, notice what they say. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So when his disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about who? John the Baptist. That's who it was. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We'll let the scripture interpret this for us. So there's, listen, it shouldn't, it shouldn't concern us that they would ask him about Elijah and who Elijah is. It would have made absolute sense to question about whether or not he was John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 through verse 14. Notice what it says. Let's start in verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. So we see that. So let's go back to John chapter number 1. So the next question that they ask. Well, we find this next question to be 
very interesting because surely if he's not the Messiah, if he is not Elijah, then he's got to be a prophet. But I want you to notice something interesting. When he denied that he was the Messiah, he said, I am not the Christ. As you come to Elijah, I want you to notice that he shortened it. He just said, I am not. And now as you come to the prophet, we see something else that's interesting. Are you the prophet? And he simply answered, no. So what about this prophet? He's not a prophet. Why would they, why would they ask him if he was a prophet? Well, let me share one thing with you. That actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18. The very question that, are you a prophet, in verse 15 through verse 18. And matter of fact, the words of Moses spoke of the coming of Christ. Everything that you see in the first five books, known as the Pentateuch, you'll notice and see that everything pointed to Christ. So Deuteronomy chapter 18 speaks of this prophet. Matter of fact, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and we'll just look at it. Let's see what the scripture says. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. As a matter of fact, what's interesting about this passage is it's going to be referenced from the New Testament. We're going to go look at that in just a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Notice verse 15 through verse 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your countrymen you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you ask of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. Now, what is the significance of Deuteronomy 18? How does it connect back to the question that this crowd has asked John the Baptist well, we have that connection actually in the New Testament. Peter and Stephen utilized Deuteronomy 18 to speak of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if you turn to Acts chapter number 3, Acts chapter 3, I know it's a lot of Bible, but let me say something to you this morning. What's important is what the Scripture says, not my opinion. Acts chapter number 3, I want you to notice what Peter himself said. As Peter stood to preach, this is Peter's second sermon, not his first, this is his second, okay? And so as we come to this portion, I want you to notice with me verse 22. Let's start in verse uh, 19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be, may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, 
whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Now notice verse 22. Moses said, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. Let me tell you what Peter's done. He's connected it back to Deuteronomy 18. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 18. If that's not enough, let's go see what Stephen said. Let's go to chapter 7 of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7 and verse 37. Matter of fact, we'll start in verse 35. Acts chapter 7 and verse 35. This Moses whom they disowned saying, who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. No, by the way, this is the Moses in verse 37 who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. And he goes on and let me tell you, he's describing Jesus Christ himself. Speaking also of John the Baptist, that was going to be the forerunner who was going to come in to announce the very coming of Jesus Christ, this prophet. So what do we see? The words of Moses spoke of the coming of Christ. Peter and Stephen apply Deuteronomy chapter 18 to Jesus as well. So notice that John denied being this prophet with a simple no. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. And I am definitely not the Messiah. That is not who I am. So what about this? John's responses, I want you to think about this with me this morning, were more than just negative responses to a series of questions. It wasn't just He wasn't just responding to these questions. His responses to these questions is exactly the way the Old Testament say that it was going to occur. What you have in John chapter 1 here is the fulfillment of exactly what the Old Testament said would occur. That this forerunner, this one, would come announce the coming of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. All set up by God himself. John shifted, but notice this, in every case, John shifted the attention away from himself and on to who? On to Jesus Christ. All the attention was shifted to Jesus Christ. And my dear friend, for you and I today, the attention needs to be shifted away from us and to Jesus Christ. We cannot provide for people what they need. Only Jesus Christ can do that. He's the only one. John knew that. 
John understood that. John understood he was not the Messiah. He was not Elijah that was going to come. He was not the prophet that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He understood his role completely and perfectly. The question today is, do we understand ours? When it comes to a holy God, John challenged them with the statement in verse 23. And I want you to notice John chapter 1 and, and look at verse 23. This is what he challenges them with. Here's what he said. Basically, here's what he does. He quotes the Old Testament back to them. Right out of Isaiah the prophet. In verse 23, and he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said. If anything, they would have known what Isaiah the prophet said. They studied the scroll of Isaiah. They would have known that especially the religious community, would have known what it says. The title, Lamb of God, in verse 28. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. Slain before the foundation of the world. Not an afterthought with God. God absolutely knowing what was going to be necessary and what was required. The only way that an appeasement could be brought to the very wrath of God was through a perfect sinless sacrifice. Once and for all, that was Jesus Christ. John knew he was the forerunner. Of it all, and for the sixth time, for the sixth time in chapter one alone, John the Baptist witness of Christ is recorded. Notice verse seven of John chapter number one. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. John's testimony of the light. The light of Jesus Christ and who he is. You go to verse number 8. John says he was not that light. But he came to testify about the light. Look at verse 15. John testified about him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Then look at verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And then when you look at verse 32. Verse 32, notice the text says, And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon me. And then when you look at verse 34. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. John testified as to who he is. Let me ask you a question. How much do we testify who he is? How much do we testify to this one that is the light? To this one who can take away the sins of the world. I mean, we sing songs about him. We talk about him. We read his word. We do all of that. But 
how many of us present him in our own lives? How many of our lives point to him in all that we do in our lives each and every day to testify of this Christ, our life to be a testimony to what Jesus Christ has done in our own hearts and lives, to understand and realize the significance of who he is? John was pointing people to the Savior, the very Son of God, as we see in verse 34. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So how much time do we spend testifying as to who He is? Testifying to those around us about Jesus Christ. You know, I was, it was interesting to me, I, and it breaks my heart. It really does. It just, it absolutely breaks my heart when I, when I see this. We talk about all of these difficulties and all of these problems. And the world just seems to be running at a pace that's, it just absolutely seems out of control. And my dear friend, let me, let, me just, let, me, let me just share something with you. You will never legislate morality. You never will. So what is the answer to the place that we find ourselves in this world today? I will tell you, there's only one answer. And it's not in a thing. It's not in an event. In a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. What brings about change in the heart? What brings about change in our lives? It's Jesus Christ and Him alone. John came and testified to that. John, John came and testified of that in his own life, in his own ministry, and what he was called to do. The testimony of John. So let me ask you a question today. What does he mean to you? What does he mean in your own life? Are you ashamed of him? Are you ashamed of him or do you love him? Do you love him to the point that you're willing to share him with all of those around us? I trust that you are. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, for your grace and for your mercy. Father, I I pray today that even as John testified as, as to who Jesus himself is. He was not Elijah. He was not a prophet. He was not the Messiah. But he was the one who testified to who he was. And Father, may we in our lives today be a testimony to who he is. Father, a testimony to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. Father, with difficulties in life and struggles and pains and turmoil, and Father, just the list goes on and on and on and on. Father, understanding and realizing that there's only one answer to that, and that is found in Jesus Christ.
Father, understanding and realizing that with Jesus Christ, does that mean that all of the difficulties go away? No, but that we have one who walks with us. Father, one that we can hold to. Father, that anchor in the time of a storm, that anchor in a rock that never moves. Father, the very Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who He is. Father, I pray this morning that as we spend this time together in a a time of invitation for those who are here and listening with us online this morning, the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart this morning about your need of a Savior in your life as a sinner condemned already. Father, that Jesus Christ is the only one who can offer the appeasement for your sin to a holy God. Father, I pray for that one this morning that today would be the day they would give their heart and life to Jesus Christ and become a disciple of Christ. And Father, whatever other need may be here this morning, only you know. And so, Father, we pray for nothing more than your perfect will to be done in each heart and life that's here today. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand, with, uh, stand together with me. Brother Red's going to come. And lead us this morning. Just watch the words as, as we share them together this morning. As Brother Red leads us. Oh, to Jesus I surrender.
right, you can be seated for just a moment. We have something very special today. Um, baby dedication that um, Joel and Miss Hannah, yeah. Um, and the interesting thing about this is Joel had actually mentioned this to me prior to COVID hitting. So we're here today, okay? As a result, it was only going to be it was only going to be one. Now it's going to be two, okay? That's what happens in COVID, okay? <laughs> so we have two instead of, instead of one. And so we're here today to welcome two, uh, and they're full of life, both of them, and that's James Wesley, which is that one there. And uh, he was born on June the 10th in 2020. And then behind him is Liam, and he was born on November the 29th, twenty. 21. So today, Joel and Hannah have come to give thanks for James and Liam, and that's what they want to do. Thank the Lord, understanding and realizing that they come from the Lord. So we're going to be dedicating James and Liam to the Lord, and our prayer for them is this, that they will come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and know the ways of the Lord at an early age in their life. But also, one of the things I want you to understand is not just a dedication for James and Liam, but it is also a dedication of Joel and Hannah to God. For what? Asking that he would give them wisdom and understanding and knowledge and the ability to bring these two precious children up in the ways and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What do you think? Huh? You think that's true? And so as a church, but as a church, we play a part, you play a part as well. And that is to dedicate ourselves to setting the godly example for James and Liam, pointing them to Christ. And let's have a word of prayer right now, okay? So let's pray, all right? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and then we're going to pray, okay? Heavenly Father, we come today with a prayer of thanksgiving, understanding that Children are an heritage of the Lord. And Father, we thank you for James and for Liam. Father, understanding the, the great responsibility that we have. Father, in, in walking alongside of Joel and Hannah as they bring these two boys up. Father, may they bring them up in the nurture and admonition of you. But Father, may we walk alongside of them to help in that same manner. And so Father, we ask your richest blessing upon both of them today. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You know, Psalm 139 says this, that children, they're a heritage of the Lord. And that's where they come from, understanding this. And so children are given to us as parents with a great responsibility. And that's to teach them the ways of the Lord. And then in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, in verse 4 through verse number 8, we find these words, and it's also known as the Shema. And here's what it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart You shall teach them diligently to your sons, 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. To do what? For why? So when they reach that age in their life and they ask you the reason for all of that, you'll be ready with an answer to give to them. All right. Joel and Hannah. This is for you this morning. Do you recognize that James and Liam are a gift from God? And both of you thank God and glorify God for the gift of your children. Do you accept the joys and the responsibilities of parenting? Promising to give proper love and care to James and Liam throughout their lives? Even with all the difficulties that come in parenting two boys. <laughs> of course, two little, two little angels. Do you commit to teach James and Liam the fullness of God's word and demonstrate through your own example and witness what it means to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength? We do. All right. Church does not leave you out. I'm going to ask the church to stand, okay? Not only is this a dedication of not only is this a dedication of Joel and Hannah and James and Liam, okay? But it's also for the church as a whole, okay? So, this is for you. When I finish, you will respond with a we will, okay? So you as a church, will you offer your ongoing love, support, prayers, and encouragement to Joel and Hannah in their role as parents as well as to James and Liam as they grow? I know we can do better than that, okay? So will we? That's better, okay? One of the things that we also have for James and for Liam, one of the best places, one of the best places that you can start with your children is in the Word of God. And so one of the things that we want to do is make sure that each one of them gets one for themselves. Look at there. Yes, that is just for you. That is just for you. You can have that just yourself. What do you think? Your eyes are this big around. <laughs> Never seen anything like that. Amen. Let's bow our heads together and have a word of prayer. But before we do, I want to ask all of the family, all of the, grand, the grandparents, I want to ask you to come up here as we, as we pray over them. Can you get her? Uh... All right. All the grandparents. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's do this. Okay. Let's pray over them. All right. Father, we bring James and Liam to you.
Father, a gift from you to Hannah and to Joel. Fathers, their family stands beside them, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. Fathers, they stand by them. Father, may they as a family spend time teaching them about you. And Father, may their lives point them to you. And at an early age, they would come to know you in their own hearts and lives. So, Father, I pray that you'd give them wisdom, discernment, and only that that can come from you. Father, understanding and realizing the importance of this day. Not only a dedication of James and Liam, but a dedication of Joel and Hannah to your ways and to all of the family and to the church. What a great responsibility we have toward these two. And we ask all of this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Y'all can all be seated. You can be seated as well. All right. Brother Andrew. And then we'll present one more in just a moment. Okay. If you look on the screen, we have the five ways to give. Um, We're just coming to the point of our service where we're going to give back to God what he's already given to us. So we just ask that you would be good stewards of what God has already given you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, God, that we could come and to hear your word preached, to sing your word, God, that we would be edifying, God, that we would glorify your name. God, we pray that we would give back to you out of the abundance that you've already given us. God, that we would be cheerful givers. God, that we would be good stewards of what you've given us. God, that through our giving, your word would go out, your kingdom would be would increase. And your name would be made great. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen.